Let's do it. Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Lewis Alpazan, with Mr. Justin Covington. Hey, tweet to us. We'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. You just go ahead and give us calls. Of course, we've got every one of our lines wide open right now. we got an empty call list and plenty of time. That's right. <laughs> it's a perfect time to call in. You can call us about just any topic, anything's on your mind. We'll be glad to tell you about it. But if you happen to have one of those diesel questions that's been kind of lurking in the back of your mind, and today would be a perfect time to call in because Justin happens to be a diesel expert. Yep, we can get all them questions answered and anything else you might have. That's right. It's not limited to that particular topic. It's just it's a good day to call in with that. Diesels are one of those kind of different things. They're not, I guess they're really not as different today as they were many years ago. They're more like a gasoline engine. They are so much like a gas engine now. It's really unreal. Mm -hmm. And gas engines are transforming to get closer to diesel engines. That's right. Well, with direct injection and all the other stuff. Right. I mean, they're, they're real similar. Their diagnostic procedures are real similar. Gone are the days of a mechanical injector and an injector pump. That's I was reading somewhere in an industry magazine, and they said that a car-slash-gasoline mechanic would probably have a much easier time on a new diesel than an old diesel mechanic would. Right, and that's how I started. I did regular gasoline diagnostic right. work, and it transformed me easily into the diesel work. And I see that. I know a lot of older guys that do diesel work, and they don't like the new stuff at all. Yeah, it's just totally, totally, totally different. Hey, let's go ahead and catch a couple of these phone calls. We've got Bruce online. Good morning, Bruce. Uh, good morning, Lewis. How you doing, sir? Uh, I'm hot. <laughs> <laughs> Just wanted to ask you, did you ever get your cell phone? No. Well, then you are truly the last man on earth. <laughs> Don't tell me you caved. Well, my wife gave me, got me one, and you know we got. Oh man, I was holding out. I tell everybody it was me, and you was last two. Well, now I'm down to the last anymore. one. <laughs> well, that's it. Nothing mechanical. I need to ask you, but thank you, Lou. All right, Miss Bruce. Thank Bye-bye. you. Bye bye. All right, if you want to be part of the automotive, we would certainly love to have you. Of course, that's an ongoing joke, I guess. Around, yeah. <laughs> it's not that I can't afford one. It's just that I don't want one. Yeah, well, I just don't want one. I don't need one, and I don't want one. I know that's illogical. I know that's not really. Everybody who's got a cell phone will call up and start sending me hate mail. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think anybody else should be deprived of theirs. I don't think you need to pass any laws or anything like that. I just don't want one myself. That's it. Plain and simple. Easy. You know? We're talking just a little bit about diesels, but of course, we talk about anything else, too. I was talking with a fellow in the shop the other day. He came in, and he's a pretty regular customer. And I mentioned to him, I said, we've got this additive called Standine, which is a high lubrosity type thing, helps to lubricate the injector. And he said, well, I thought you were all against additive. I said, well, normally I am. I said, this particular product is approved by GM, Ford, and Chrysler, and it's not a modification of anything. What you're doing, your truck was not designed to run on the fuel it's running on. Right. And uh, this is just going to put it more like the fuel that it, it was designed to run on. Right. Now what we have is the ultra-low-sulfur diesel. And that's for 2007 and up vehicles only. Mm -hmm. The older vehicles were designed to run on low-sulfur diesel, which has more lubrication properties. Right. This additive just adds those lubrication properties back to the diesel fuel and helps keep everything going smoothly. Right. So it's not like you're going against something the engineer designed in there. You're just putting it back the way he designed it. (laughs) That's right. Well, Instanadyne is a company that actually makes diesel fuel injection parts. Right. So they know better than just about anybody what it takes to keep them alive. That's right. That's right. And they got two different formulas. They have their high lubrosity formula, which is the one we normally recommend. And I notice they also have a performance formula. 
Right. The performance formula has lebrosity additive in it. It's just not as much, mm-hmm. and it also has a cetane booster, and I believe it has a water emulsifier in it okay. also. Okay, so either one is a good product. It's just a little bit different. Right. Uh, just slant, I guess. That's it. Okay. Like I said, I'm not real big on additives of any kind, but I know GM and Ford, in fact, you can buy the same stuff, I think, in a Ford bottle. Uh, right. We've, we've had it come in. They had a TSB with some kind of problem, and they, and they send it out, and it's the same stuff in the bottle. That's it. They, a Ford label on it. Right, and GM <laughs> does the same thing. Yeah. They had a lot of problems in the past. GM did with the old 6.5s and their injector pumps, mm-hmm. and that was a Stanodyne pump in the truck, mm-hmm. and that's what they recommended to help keep it alive. Huh. Okay, hey, part of the automotive fire, we'd love to have you. Just in case you don't get a chance to call in, don't care to call in, something occurred to you during the week. That's right. You can always visit the website. It's right. www.agcoauto.com, A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. And there's a few search bars on there. You can find detailed topics. You can find specific answers to different questions. That's- you can also email Lewis anytime. Usually within 24 hours, he'll be back with you. Just send me an email. I'll give you an answer back within 24 hours. If you hadn't heard back from me within 24 hours, you might want to check and make sure you typed in the right email address and that you're using the form on the website because I never ignore emails. I always reply to every single one. And if you hadn't got it back within 24 hours, something else has gone wrong. So just go ahead and resend it, and I'll be sure to get an answer back to you. Put an article on the website this morning on fuel filters in general, but primarily on the new in-tank fuel filters. And a lot of people are kind of surprised if they've got a 2003 back GMC, Chevrolet, SUV, or pickup. They're pretty used to changing their fuel filter and special little tool and all, but not a too big of a deal. When they crawl into the 2004, though. And they realize it doesn't have All one. they see is an ABS pump <laughs> and a couple straight lines on the frame That's rail. It. And I get that question all the time. That's one reason I wrote that article. I said, well, where's the fuel filter? I can't find it. Well, you're not going to find it because it's in the fuel tank. And worse, in my opinion, is GM, for whatever reason, decided to make that fuel filter not available. You, know, you can't buy that filter if you want to. That's right. It's like a part of the fuel pump. Right. Toyota, Honda, s- several people, Dodge, have been putting fuel filters in the tank for a pretty good while now. But most of those, particularly on like the cars, like the Toyota and Honda cars, you can take the back seat out, this little access panel, pull the fuel pump out, replace just the filter. So it's a little bit more work, maybe an hour's work to replace it as opposed to 15 minutes to change a regular filter, but you can still replace it, and the filters are available. Right. But with this new deal, you can't replace it if you want to. I guess their idea is just wait till the pump burns up and put a pump and a filter. Well, that's it. They say the filter lasts the life of the pump. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> Well, given the life of some of these pumps in the past, I could probably buy that. That's right. <laughs> we put pumps in pretty regular, about 75,000, 80,000 miles. So. They're actually running a, a bigger pre-screen on, on, mm-hmm. them, on them, aren't they? Which is a good idea. Yeah, pre-filter before it goes through the pump, which I think is an excellent idea. But I'm just a little bit, and you know, I guess time will tell. We'll see in 10 years if this worked out for them or not. That's right. I mean, well, and they're all turnless fuel systems now. I believe that's when they went to that. Right. So there's no fuel returning to the tank. It's just what they send up to the front. And as soon as it starts getting restricted, you're going to lose power quick. Well, that's right. And what happens with returnless systems, they're going that more and more and more. The older systems, you had a fuel pump which produced more pressure than the car could use. So what they did is they would send the rest up, and there was a fuel pressure regulator which would return it. Now, that did a couple of things. Number one, it regulated fuel pressure. But number two, it allowed that fuel to cool off a good bit. Right. It was like a great big cooling loop. Without that, what happens is that the fuel runs a lot hotter in most of the new cars. And when the fuel level gets low, it runs very, very much hotter. 
And the fuel's the only thing that cools the fuel pump. Right. That's it. The, the flow of the fuel mm-hmm. cools the pump. And when you're in low fuel demand situations, the pump sits there and gets hot because it's not moving very much fuel through it at all. That, and it's working harder to produce the same pressure because it doesn't have a column of fuel sitting above it giving it head pressure. Right. So it has to work harder and is less to cool it. So you can end up very easily damaging a fuel pump. And we see that a lot where folks are, gas is high and they want to run it to the last little bit. But that is absolutely the wrong thing to do. Yeah, that's about the worst thing you can do. Like Lewis said, that fuel is in there to keep the pump cool. Right. And without that fuel level and that head pressure, the pump has to work twice as hard. Mm-hmm. And that just puts undue strain on it. Well, that's right. Nothing to cool it. So good article. You might pop on there and see what you think. Shows you some fuel filters that have been cut open. You can look inside, see what's in there. Tells you a little bit about fuel filters, how to protect yourself, maybe save you a big old repair bill there. Of course, tons of other things you can do on that site. You can go in there and pop on the automotive idle contest. Right. You can vote for your favorite one. Well, that's right. Listen to all of them. A lot of people don't realize it's actually a little bio. Those are cars singing. Right. And there's a picture of each car with a little bio on them, where they came from, what about them. And it's also a full-length rendition of the songs you hear on the commercial, which is kind of cool. Right. Is uh, Delta 88 still up front? They're still in the lead, but I think King Cab is coming up quick. So <laughs> pop on there, cash your vote, and do anything else you might like to do. Tons and tons of stuff. Good information. Everything on there is free, so I think you'll <laughs> run out of time before you run out of things to do. Hey, www.agcoauto.com. I think you'll really like it. And we're going back to our phone lines with Herb. Good morning, Herb. Yes, sir. In the past, I've run, and I still do, an older model 73 Ford and a little Volkswagen diesel put about a pint to 20 gallons of transmission fluid in it, in the diesel. Is that bad, good, or don't make no difference? That's not that big of a deal. I mean, that's, that's a good lubrication property. I've heard of people using transmission fluid. I've also heard of people using a bottle of two-stroke oil. Mm-hmm. And you can usually use a bottle of two-stroke oil when you fill a tank up, and it's not going to hurt very much. Diesel is nothing but fuel oil anyway, so anything that's oil-based is going to mix with it perfectly fine. Right. The only concern I would have a little bit there, Herb, is some of your transmission fluids today have like friction modifiers and stuff like that in them to address properties in some of the transmissions. So be kind of careful what kind of transmission fluid you get. You could possibly end up with something interacting, seal conditioners and all that kind of stuff in them that's really not designed to go through that fuel system. But as long as you're buying like Dex 3 or something, just plain Jane stuff, I don't think you have a problem with that. Okay. I didn't have problems with it, but I just mm-hmm. wanted to know whether I was messing up or not. No, nah, I doubt it, man. I mean, like... Justin was saying with that ultra-low sulfur diesel, they've taken a lot of the lubrication properties out, and those vehicles weren't designed to run on that. Mm -hmm. So what we're running on today is fuel that we weren't designed to run on, and that's where that Stanodyne is such a good product because it puts that lubrication back in there. And so it just kind of brings you back to ground zero where you're supposed to be in the first place. All righty. All righty. Thank you, sir. Okay, Herb. Thank you, man. Bye-bye. You want to be part of the automotive hour? We'd love to have you. And we got Richard online. Good morning, Richard. Good morning. Yes, sir. Yeah, I got a 2000 Chevrolet pickup, and it's just broke in, 289000 Okay, good deal. <laughs> Runs excellent. Mm-hmm. But I had a slight oil leak on my valve cover gasket. Okay. And yesterday I got some spray foam motor cleaner and cleaned it all up and wiped it off and mm-hmm. took the hose and washed it out. Mm-hmm. And my truck had a hard time getting it cranked. Probably wet something. All right, and I cranked it. Service engine light come on. First yeah. time it ever come on. Well, yeah, it's just a misfire because something's truck. wet. Yeah, right, well, I'd... not a real good idea to put a hose under the hood of them trucks, Richard, just because so many electrical connections in there. Your check engine light, very likely, is going to be a misfire code, I would think, and got wet. Yeah, what engine is in that truck, Richard? 4.3. It's a 4.3. 
yeah, more, more than likely it got the distributor cap wet. Mm-hmm. And like you said, it's probably going to be a misfire code. Yeah, pull the cap off and see if you can't clean it out or better yet just replace it because unless it's been changed recently, they've – they had more than a little bit of trouble with those distributor caps on the 4.3s. They tend to slime up and corrode up pretty good. So you might want to try just putting your new cap and rotor on and see if that doesn't clear it all up. Well, I'm cleaning it up real good and thinking about selling it. I've never changed the distributor cap, and the light's going off. Yeah, it will. If it quits misfiring, probably the, the moisture that was in there may have balled on out or evaporated. I'd probably go ahead and look at that cap. If you never change it, it's going to be way past due. We get them in quite a few times with misfires and stuff like that. Even sometimes it won't start. We change the cap and rotor and it fixes it. And it's, not, it's not a real expensive part and something you can do yourself. Well, it starts real good. Mm-hmm. But uh, you think I normally do all my own maintenance work mm-hmm. and all that stuff. Yes, sir. And I screwed up. I changed the oil in it yesterday, mm-hmm. and my wife's got a Toyota uh, Highlander, mm-hmm. and I bought a full five container of oil at one time, castor oil. Yes, sir. And I fooled around, and instead of putting five W thirty in it, I grabbed a container of her oil and put five W twenty in it. Yeah, I wouldn't do that. I'd go ahead and drain that out, Richard, and put the right mm-hmm. oil back in that. Five twenty is a little light, particularly on one with that much mileage on it. Okay, you could so you be, be dolls ahead just to drain it out and lose the five quarts oil and put the right oil back in it. Okay. I mean, you don't change the filter again, but I, I definitely drain the oil out and put the right oil in it. Yeah, right filter. Mm-hmm. All righty. Well, I'll thank you. Okay, Richard, we thank you, sir. All right. Bye-bye. All right, we got to take a quick little break, and we'll be right back with more. Brock, hang on. You'll be straight up after the break. Ryan Sebring, and welcome to Agco's Automotive Idol, where singing cars compete for your votes. Our next contestant, Ms. Crown Victoria. Mm, so I got some junk in my trunk, but why you want to treat me so bad? Took me to a repair shop, the worst I ever had. My new owner brought me to Agco, they do me right. No shimmy or shake, I run straight through the night. Got off running alignment and my ride is so smooth. it up, folks, for Miss Crown Victoria. And visit agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-Auto.com. Hear entire songs performed by all our contestants. Then, vote on your favorite. And remember, for vehicles fixed right the first time for the overall lowest cost, Agco is the place to go. Hey, welcome back. Just join us the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Alvesant. Today we have Mr. Justin Covington in the store with us. Yeah. <laughs> And, of course, take any kind of call you might have, you just give us a call. And, of course, Justin's particular field of expertise is diesels and GM cars and driving. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go to our phone line. I've got Brock on the line. Good morning, Brock. Good morning. Yes, sir. I missed y'all's your answer a little bit earlier. I got a 06 Ford Super Duty with yes, a 6.0 liter. Yes, sir. You were talking about a lubrication additive. It's called Stanodyne, and you can buy it anywhere. We've got it at Agco. We sell it, but there's lots and lots and lots of folks do. It's widely, widely available. But it's one of the very few additives out there that's recommended by Ford, GM, and Chrysler. Okay. Stanodyne made the original injector pumps for a lot of the OEM, and when they started having trouble with this ultra-low sulfur diesel, they said, hey, we need something to try to help with this, and this is what they came up with. So I recommend it pretty highly, and I'm, that's a bunch for me because I don't recommend much of anything, much particularly not any kind of additives. But like I was telling a fellow earlier, I said, you know, you're not adding anything. Actually, you're just putting it back the way it was. The way it's designed it. to run. <laughs> so the low sulfur diesel they take is 
lubrication. Of well, yeah, like when he took all the sulfur stuff. out of it, it's not going to lubricate as well as, as what was designed. You had, well, you had low sulfur, now you got ultra-low sulfur. Right. So okay. you don't have quite the lubrication you had. Now, if you got a 2007 or newer, you're not going to have any problem because it's designed to run with that. Right. But okay. if you have the older one six back, they were really designed to run on something different. And I'm not saying you're going to have a problem if you don't run it. I'm just saying it's cheap and it's just good insurance. You put about, I don't know, two ounces to 30 gallons of fuel, and you don't have to run it every time, about every other time. So one bottle is going to last you six months to a year. It's about 11, 12 bucks a bottle. So it ain't That'll no, work, it ain't no standardine, you said? Yeah, standardine. Come by the store. I keep it on the shelf all the time. Or I think most truck shops or most diesel specialists keep it. Yeah, most truck stops, the the little store in a truck stop will probably have it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, man, I appreciate it. All right, man. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. I remember if you want to be part of the automotive hour, we would love to have you. Just go ahead and give us a call. Kind of an interesting case, I guess, last week. Guy came in with a six-liter Ford, and, of course, his complaint was it had to crank, you know, extended crank time. Right, he had a very extended crank time. Right, and, boy, you know, I see this on forums all the time, and, of course, somebody always pops up, oh, we'll change the glow plugs. Right. Well, no. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, what, what people don't understand is nowadays with a direct injected diesel, there is not very much need for glow plugs. At right. All. I mean, just gone are the days of sitting there having to wait for the light and turn the key off, turn it back on, wait for the light again. Right. So it, just so it would start. That's just not the case anymore. The mm. direct injected diesels, their compression ratios are so high and the fuel is sprayed directly into the cylinder mm-hmm. and they're very easy to start. Glow plugs... Most if you've got a problem here, below 30 degrees, you may have a glow plug issue. That's right. Here in Louisiana, you almost never need glow plugs. What he had, he had to crank, 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 crank and before it would start. And, of course, there's a number of things that can cause that problem. Well, this particular one, it was the what was it, the all rail pedestals, seals. Right. The all rail has a high-pressure oil feed, mm-hmm. and they designed the rail to go on either head. Mm-hmm. Well, that means that on one of the ports has to be plugged on the right. rail. Well, those plugs have some O-rings in them that seal high-pressure oil, and those O-rings are real, real bad about leaking. Mm -hmm. And once they start leaking, it can't build the oil pressure that it needs to fire the injectors off. Right, and you're not going to see a leak like in terms of leaking out on the ground. It's leaking into the motor. So it's just going back to the oil pan. It's not leaking outside of the motor. Right. It's just leaking from the high-pressure rail back to the oil pan. So you're not going to see anything except that it gets real hard to start. Right, it's going to get real hard to start. You're not going to make the power that you should be able to make. Those injectors require about 500 PSI of oil pressure just to fire. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you can't build that, then it's not going to run at all. Mm-hmm. And that's why when you spin it over for a long amount of time, the longer you spin over, the more that pump can make pressure, and eventually it'll hit, it'll it'll hit off crank, the start. Yeah, even though it's leaking, it can just build up enough pressure to kind of cover it up. Of course, kind of a, I guess it's not a major repair as diesels go, but it's not. Not a small repair either. Well, it's not a cakewalk. No. <laughs> <laughs> You're not tearing the motor down either. You know, right. Just pull the valve covers off. Right. And there's a, an updated seal for that. There is an updated seal. They decided to put a Teflon washer behind the O-ring to, I guess, to act as a double seal was their, right. was their thought behind it. Right. And that pretty much fixed it up. And on his particular one, only one side was leaking. We went ahead, we did both sides just as a precautionary thing. But sometimes one side will go out, sometimes the other side, and sometimes the other side never will, but. Right. Well, you got to remember those O-rings have all been in the, in the motor for the same amount of time. Right. And once you fix one leak, when the pressure jumps back up again, it's going to find its next weakest point. Right. Well, like a, like a chain, it's going to break at the weakest link. And we're going to go back to our phone lines. We've got James on the line. Good morning, James. Hey. 
Yes, sir. Yeah, I had a 2000 Voyager. Okay. The serpentine belt was slipping off. Okay. Uh, put one of those kits on it. Uh-huh. With the, you change out the pulley, and it has ribs on both sides of the belt. Yeah, I'm not crazy about those. And Okay, well, I sold that one. I only had it about six months. Mm-hmm. Now I inherited a... 2000 caravan from my grandfather mm-hmm. and it's starting to do the same thing in the rain the serpentine belt will slip off yeah and i was wondering if i'm going about it the right way should no. i put those kits on or <laughs> no or do they have shims too i don't know yeah no just go back to chrysler and buy the right part there's an updated part for that problem and they had some misalignment in there but what you got to remember james anytime anything breaks on a car it's because something's wrong with that car because it doesn't break on every car so when you go in and you look at these kids, oh, we're going to say this to modify something. No, 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 no. Let's just fix the problem. You know, all that kind of junk just usually just creates more problems than it's worth. But, yeah, Chrysler has a redesigned front bracket, I think it is. I'd have to go back and look at the bulletin on it. But they had a lot, a lot of trouble with that. And that bracket, I think, moves the pulley out a little further or, or something to that effect. Yeah, it changes the alignment of it. And also, you gotta you need to look and make sure that all your splash shields are in place. Right. If it's only slipping when it's raining, mm-hmm. then it's getting water on it somewhere. Yeah. And it should have some splash shields to keep that water from hitting. Yeah, a lot of times somebody worked on the car in the past. They took one of the little shields off in the wheel opening or something. Oh, you don't need that. And they left it off. Well, now every time you hit a puddle of water, it's throwing water up on the motor that shouldn't. And there's nothing in the world going to stop that. You can't put the belt tight up. If water hits it, it's going to slip. Okay. So make sure all, all the shields kit. and everything are on there. Yeah, but I'd go back with the original parts. I've had real good luck with the original equipment belts. I just hardly ever use aftermarket belts at all. Okay. All righty? All right, thanks. Okay, Mr. James, thank you. Bye-bye. All right, if you want to be part of the automotive, I would certainly love to have you. That's one of those things. There's certain parts, I guess, that maybe you can kind of sort of get by with some aftermarket stuff. Most time, not even that. But when it comes to, like, brakes or belts or anything like that, you want the OEM part. You want the OEM part. I mean, they just last so much longer. They're designed for the vehicle, and you just see way less problems. Oh, yeah. I mean, every day we pull stuff in that's got aftermarket parts on it, and we have to take it off and oh, put new stuff How on. much? I mean, I've got 55-gallon drums of brand-new brake pads in the back that people could not live with the noise. It's warped a set of rotors. They're squeaking. They're squealing. They're doing this. They're doing that. You take them off. You put it back the way it goes with original equipment stuff. And you have no more trouble. That's right. Most people go 40, 50, 60. In the case of a Chevy pickup or something like that, maybe 150,000 miles on the original brakes. Yep. So why would you want to change that? That's right. Yeah, they work fine. They stop good. They don't make noise. Well, and I mean, when you go back with them, sure, they cost a little bit more mm-hmm. money. But look at the service that you got out That's of That's right. You know, your rotors aren't eating up. You got plenty of miles out of them. Mm-hmm. And they're designed for the vehicle. They stop it correctly. You don't end up with a hard pedal or a soft pedal or brakes locking up. That's it. Pulling right, pulling left. Yeah, all the different stuff. And I mean, if the average person could probably come spend a day in the shop, they'd just really have a whole different perspective on that kind of stuff. Used to be, in fact, at one time, if you bought an original equipment part, boy, you really had something good. But even they are getting to where they're not what they should be in many cases. It's almost getting hard to get good parts. It's getting hard. You have to check everything. Every single part, every single time, because you may take a brand new OEM part out of the box. It doesn't even meet their specs right out of the box. Yep, we see it all the time. So much of that stuff's coming from offshore now, and I mean, there's just very little, if any, quality control on it. I don't know if they're buying from the lowest bidder or... It's got to be what it is. They're just trying to get it as cheap as they possibly can. Got to be. I've never, I've never seen you in 40 years of working on them. I've never seen a, a worse situation than what we got going on these <laughs> yeah. days. Hey, we're going to have to take a quick little old break, and we'll be right back. You guys hang on. we we'll straight back with you.
Hi, I'm Ryan Sebring, and welcome to Agco's Automotive Idol, where singing cars compete for your votes. Our next contestant, old Delta 88. My old owner loved me, and he treated me fine. Used to tag me to Agco all of the time. Now my new owner cuts corners, is looking for a deal. It's enough to make my poor tires, my poor tires squeal. I got the new owner blues, he don't want to treat me nice. I got the cheap owner blues, down the road he'll pay the price. Yes, he will. Oh, sing it, old Delta 88, and visit agcoauto.com. That's agcoauto.com to hear entire songs performed by all our contestants. Then vote on your favorite. And remember, for vehicles fixed right the first time, for the overall lowest cost, Agco is the place to go. Welcome back. You just join us the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Alvesan, with Mr. Justin Covington. Hey, between the two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Got some on your mind. Old car won't start, won't stop. You give us a call. Won't start making noise. Yeah, that's right. Creaking, cricking, knocking, bopping. <laughs> check engine lights, ABS lights. That's right. You give us a call. We're going to try to help you out. We're talking just before the break about belts. And belts are probably one of those things. You know, there's hardly any part on a car that hasn't changed in the last few years. And belts are no exception. Although the changes have been subtle, you can't really see them with your eye so much. Right. It's got more to do with the makeup of the compound of the rubber. Mm-hmm. They've went to a new EPDM rubber now right. that will literally last forever and ever and ever, mm-hmm. but it does wear out That's still, right. and you just can't see it anymore. Mm-hmm. You don't see the cracks anymore. You don't see the fraying of the belts or anything, but... If you get down and measure the rib width of the belt, that's right. You'll see that it's worn out. Well, and I put an article on the website with pictures where we came into this at Agco is we were seeing an increase in burn up stuff like idler pulleys and air conditioning compressors and stuff like that. Right. Literally burn up from getting too hot. And so started doing a little research and what's going on here? Why are all these pulleys burning up? And the one common thread that we found was in many cases the belt had not ever been replaced, and they had 100,000 miles in the vehicle. Right. Now, when you look at the belt, it still looked good. No cracks. It looked great. So we ordered some of these little gauges, measure the width of the teeth, and when you put it in there, the belt is worn slam out. You yeah. just can't see it with your eye. That's right. You can't see it with your eyes. And what happens is once the belt's worn out, mm-hmm. the friction coefficient goes. That's right. And it has the potential to start slipping. That's right. Well, once it starts slipping, the heat gets in there. And that's what starts burning components up. Right. And it's sort of funny because these belts are so tough, so hard, they don't really make a squealing noise in many cases. I've had a ton of them come in. You can't hear a thing. And I, that's right. And I told one guy, I said, man, you got to change that belt. It's wore out. He said, well, it never, never made any noise. I said, well, it may not make any noise, but the next step is going to be about $1,800 compressor job. <laughs> that's right. Well, and it's it's not that it's slipping so bad no, that whatever running is not working. Right. That's right. It's just slipping just enough to get that heat in there. Well, and you can throw a digital thermometer on the thing and look at the temperature, and you may see that clutch is running about 30 degrees hotter than one with a new belt. That's right. And the longer you run it, the worse it gets. One of the things that we've noticed, and this is kind of big on Fords, we see it quite a bit, I drive about an hour, my air conditioner quits cooling. Right. And what's happening is that clutch is getting so hot that the coil is kicking out on it. That's right. It can't. It doesn't have enough strength to pull the clutch back shut. Right, and so it starts to warm up, and then after it sits there for a few minutes, it cools back down, and it'll engage again. 
And I've seen people spend an awful lot of money trying to trace that problem down. And it's a clutch, and in many cases brought on by the belt that wasn't replaced in time. But it's sort of like a lot of other things. At one time, I guess when I started working on cars, you were going to know when something was wrong very, very easily because there were always symptoms. That's right. It would run bad or it would make something. noise or something was there. And with the new cars, that's just not Well, yeah, I mean, not there. if you didn't tune your car up, points, plugs, and condenser about every 10,000 miles, it would literally quit running. Right. I mean, it would idle so rough and the mileage would drop off and sometimes it wouldn't even start. Nowadays, you can go 100,000 miles. You're not going to notice one bit of difference. That plug is worn slam out. But it's going to idle just right. It's going to give good gas mileage, and you're not going to notice any problem. So people say, well, why should I change it? Well, because eventually it's going to leave you somewhere. Well, that and And you have what they call duty cycle on your call packs. And when the gap gets wider, it requires more energy to jump that gap. So it just increases the duty cycle on the calls. Right. And these things are designed to run at 10 to 15% duty cycle, and you got them running at 85% trying to fire a set of worn-out plugs. You start cooking down calls at 200 bucks a piece instead of changing spark plugs at 6 bucks a piece. That's right. And, so, and you've only got eight of them on a yeah, V8. Yeah, eight so of them at 200 bucks a piece plus labor. <laughs> it's going to get to be a, a real profound lesson there pretty That's quick. Right. And the thing is, you're not going to notice any difference until one of the calls burn up. And then, of course, check engine lights could pop on. It's going to start missing and burning a lot of gas then, and you got a symptom. But you can't wait till symptoms. you got to go by the maintenance schedule. When they say 100,000 miles, that is absolute blue sky Hey, don't go 101. Right. In fact, I like to change them around 85 to 90 just to be a little safe. Right. Well, and once you have one coil go out, mm-hmm. it's just a matter of time for the rest of them follow behind. Well, they've all been overheated. That's right. They're working all the same way. Mm-hmm. That was just the first one that went. Yeah, that was the weakest one in the bunch. It died first. We put it on there, and about six months later, the light's back on. So I got the same problem. Well, no, you got problem on number five now. Right. You had one on number <laughs> six. And on and on it goes. And like I said, it could have been prevented just like the belt problem, by a proper thing. But in the industry, I guess the learning curve is kind of long for some reason in this particular industry. Uh, you got a lot of people who have just been doing things one way for a long time, and they just don't want to change with the times. And you can't look at a belt anymore and tell when it's bad. You have to put a gauge on it and measure it. And when you measure it, you will clearly see it. But if you walk into most shops in Baton Rouge and say, let me see your serpentine belt checking gauge, they're not, well, they're the face is going to go blank. Right. They don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> But without that, there is no way to check this belt. You can't look at it. Obviously, if it's got cracks in it and it's frayed, it's bad. But so often, you're not going to have any of that. In fact, go on the website, look at that picture or pictures, and you'll see belts that look perfectly good that are worn completely out. Yep. But same thing with that, same thing with spark plugs, same thing with a lot of things. You just don't get the symptoms like you used to. We're going to go back to our phone lines. we got Wayne online. Good morning, Wayne. Hey, guys. I, there are still some things you could do on a vehicle. I like to do as much of my the basic maintenance yes, as sir. I can. Good idea. But I've got a 2006 Mazda Tribute, mm-hmm. 2.3 liter, everything on it. I can't find a thing anywhere on a transmission filter, anything regarding a transmission filter on this vehicle. Some of those, I'm not sure on that particular model because I don't know which transmission's got in it. But some of them, the filter is internal in the transmission, and you can't replace it. It doesn't have a pan. Does it have an oil pan on it, on the transmission? Yeah. yeah, it does. If it has a pan, then it's probably got a replaceable filter. It's got an aluminum pan. Yeah, it's probably got a replaceable filter, then. You'd have to drop that pan and be up inside of there. If Josh was on the show, I could get you an answer. Or if you want to send me an email, I'll ask I Josh will. and find out what's take- going on with it. But a lot of cars now do not have a pan any longer. Like, for instance, most Yohannas don't have a pan. And there's a few others, like on some of your Saturns, the filter is a screw-on filter, almost like an oil filter on the outside. 
Some of them, the filter, like on Honda, it's built inside the transmission, and the only way to change it is tear transmission down. So what you have to do on that, yeah, that's what I said. And, you know, ironically, they had a lot of transmission problems with those cars. So go figure, huh? But what we do on those is what we call a double drain and fill. That's where we drain out the three quarts you can get out, fill it with fresh fluid, go drive it about 20 minutes, come back, immediately drain it, and fill it again. And what happens when you cut it off, the fluid runs through the filter and back to the case, so it kind of washes the filter out. And if you do that real regular, then you're not going to give the filter a chance to restrict. But if I had a Honda product, I'd be be servicing it about every 20,000 miles. Yeah. It's so easy. You, know, you can do it yourself. Take six quarts of fluid, and it does take a special fluid. But, yeah, if you give me an email, I'll look that particular one up for you, Wayne, tell you where it's at and exactly I, how I, to I really appreciate it. it. All righty. Thank you, guys. Okay, man. Thanks for calling. Bye-bye. All right, if you want to be part of the automotive, I would love to have you. More and more and more on transmissions just in particular because that's what we're talking about, but they don't even have a dipstick on them. No, they don't want you messing with it at all. Oh, no. And and so many of them now, I get the biggest kick out of them. They have lifetime fluid. Yeah, whatever they that is. They call it lifetime fluid. <laughs> well, it does. It lasts the lifetime of the transmission. Yeah. yeah when transmission burn up, <laughs> life's over. Fluid, yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's... Yeah, I guess everything is kind of lifetime from that respect. You know, when that's you die, it. it's done. Well, <laughs> well, engine oil is lifetime oil. It'll last the life yeah. of the motor. You know? Well, that's absolutely right. You know, <laughs> just that life is going to be a lot shorter than you probably like if, uh, if you don't change it. But, yeah, that is kind of amazing. You hear lifetime filters and stuff like that. Well, that's kind of a contradiction in terms. Right. Because a filter, by its very purpose, is going to restrict itself by removing debris. Right. Well, if it's it doesn't, doing its job. Yeah, if it doesn't, either it's so big that all the trash is going through it, or it's so large that it wouldn't fit inside the car. So, yeah, this is just kind of a funny, funny way they think about a lot of these things. Well, they just want you to feel comfortable that you're not going to have to spend a lot of money on maintenance. Well, that's, that's true. That's true. And if you ever look at any of the surveys they do on new cars, you will hear one set of words all the time, initial product satisfaction. Yep. That means somebody buys a brand new car and just pop down 35 Gs. And you say, how do you like a new car? Well, what do you think? I love it. I love it. (laughs) Just spent 35 grand. You know, it smells good. Hey, yeah, it's great. But when you get down the road to 70, 80, 90, 100,000 miles, and you start having major problems, why don't we survey them then? That's what a tail of the tail is. Right. Well, and manufacturers are looking at what people are looking for. You know, Mm -hmm. a lot lot of surveys now, they rate cars in cost of ownership. Right, right. And people want the lowest cost of ownership possible. But what they don't realize is that the lowest initial cost is the highest long-term cost. That's right. You know, it's, that, it's like anything else. If you don't maintain anything, you're going to have a low initial term, but then when the major problems come in, it's going to cost you 10 times as much, and they don't factor that in. They, Nobody pushed. I don't think any engineer really speculates out past 100,000 miles. No, because they want to sell you another car. Well, absolutely. I mean, and they truly feel that 100,000 miles is the life of the car. That's it. It's done. Throw it away. Go buy a new car. Right. And... If you can afford to plank down 40, 50, 60, 70 grand every four or five years for another car, then that's fine. Throw the old one away. That's it. Yeah, just do that. I mean, that would be your lowest overall cost. However, like most people, I have to drive a car 15, 20 years, and I want to get about 300,000 miles out of it. That's right. So I got to take a little bit better care of it along the way. Kind of like a guy, a person, you, know, you can do whatever you want if you only plan to live to be 20 years old. That's it. <laughs> hey, party <laughs> whatever, on. <laughs> do whatever you want to do. Yeah, party on. It ain't going to make much difference. But if you plan on living to be 80, 90 years old, yep, you well, got to take a little better care of yourself. Same yep. exact thing on your car. Hey, we're going to take another quick little break, but we'll be right back with more on the Automotive Hour. 
Welcome to Agco's Automotive Idol, where singing cars compete for your votes. Give it up for MC Powertrain. Oh, this one goes out to the drivers who forget about preventative maintenance. You know, you got to take a car in regularly or have problems down the road. You'll see, when it comes to maintenance, got to take a stand. Prevention is the word at hand, so keep your car in tune, show the road who's boss, because that goes down with the overall lowest cost. I said A to the G to the C and O Echo is the place to go. A to the G to the C and O Echo is the place to go. Keep it real, MC's powertrain, and visit agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-Auto.com to hear entire songs performed by all our contestants. Then vote on your favorite. And remember, for vehicle fixed right the first time for the overall lowest cost, Agco is the place to go. Welcome back to the final segment of the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Lewis Alexander, president of Agco Automotive. Got our GM tech, Mr. Justin Covington, here with us. And between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go and give us calls? We're talking just a little bit about cost. That was one of the things when I developed Agco that I wanted to do is to give people the overall lowest cost. And that's one of those things that's a little bit hard to judge sometimes. People are so used to looking at the price. Right, but they're unaccustomed to looking at the actual cost. Right, they just want the initial hit of what it's going to cost them out of their pocket to get something done, and that doesn't always translate into the the lowest lowest cost. cost Well, yeah, absolutely. In fact, most of the time, it does not. Right. For instance, go and buy some cheap paint to put on your house, just as an example, and the good stuff will cost you twenty dollars, twenty five dollars a gallon. Well, you pay eighteen dollars a gallon for this. But instead of lasting six to eight years like it should, it lasts four years, and it peels off. Well, now, which one would have cost more? Right. Because now you got to repaint the house. <laughs> That's it. you got to do it again. Yeah, and that particular concept transfers over to cars extremely well in just about every part of a car because when you think you're saving money, unless you have the wherewithal to really think it through, and – we have sort of a unique perspective because we see cars every day at the point where they're broken down. Right. I had a fellow the other day. He was just chit-chatting with me, and he says, well, yeah, I know a little bit about car repair. I have my car repaired, and I've dealt with a lot. I said, okay, well, think about it. You probably see maybe three car repairs a year. Right. And I see 35 a day. Right. And I've done that for 40 years. So I'm going to have a little bit different perspective. I can see the things that are going to happen. So therefore, I'm going to advise you, hey, you know, you don't want to do this. Right. I'll never forget, I had a gentleman come in the shop one time, and the lower ball joint broke in his car, and the wheel flopped out. So we started checking, and what had happened is that the someone had left the ball joint loose at some point in time, and it wallowed out the knuckle. There's a tapered-fit knuckle, and when that Taper no longer makes properly. When you tighten it down, it tightens the very top of the stud down. Right. But the bottom flexes, and it causes the stud to break. So I told him, so you're going to have to have a new knuckle, and you can have, oh, man, that's a lot of money. I, can't we just put another ball joint in it? Absolutely not. No. Well, you know, I'll take the risk. So, well, you can't take that risk. Right. Because when you're doing 60 miles an hour down the interstate, and that thing snaps, and you spin over and hit a minivan with four people and kill them, that's not a risk that they took. That's right. So – you're not always capable of seeing all the things that are going to happen. So, therefore, you kind of have to defray to someone who maybe has more experience with the situation. 
and you ask kind of what laws and rules and specifications are all about right. because we can't always see all those things. For instance, when we build a house in South Louisiana, we may be tempted to build a cheaper house until the first hurricane comes along. Now we see what those specifications are about. That's right. Yeah, when it, when it blows three streets over. <laughs> yeah, when your house is laying in the street because it wasn't hooked down right and it wasn't anchored to the slab right and all that, we can't always see all the things that are going to happen. Right. And, boy, that happens so much with cars. You get cars in all the time with a battery, and someone went to a department store and bought a cheap battery, and now it leaks, and an acid runs down, and it gets on some of the wiring harness, eats up some wires, check engine light pops on, Maybe worse yet, it gets on an air conditioning line. And sulfuric acid against aluminum, it's not going to even be a... It's not even a match. (laughs) Yeah, it's not even going to be a challenge there. It's going to eat right through that line. And it's going to contaminate the devil out of the system because that acid is going to get into your system. You save 20 bucks on a battery, but you ate up $1,500 worth of air conditioning parts. Right. And I guess probably the most common thing we see that on is it's got to be oil changes nowadays. Mm -hmm. I mean, we see people pushing extended oil changes, but right. how many of these people that push extended oil changes see the inside of an engine on a daily basis? Well, probably none. And what they're looking at is, well, I went from 3,000 miles to 8,000 miles and nothing happened. Right. Well, you didn't push it out long enough. Well, that's right. It's kind of like the first day you smoked a cigarette, nothing happened. Yep. And even after about a year or two, you're still doing pretty good. Now, let's extend this out 50 years or 60 years and see how well you're doing. Right. Problem is, by the time you figure out you got a problem, it's just too darn late to do anything about it. That's right. Some it's, things can't be reversed. Wrong. Yep. We saw a caravan the other day that was literally leaking from every seal on the engine. It was. Every one. And the gentleman, nice, nice guy, he was trying to fix a car for his daughter to go to school in. And thank God he brought it to us to check it before he went and put a lot of money because he was fixing to put tires and all kinds of other things on it. Right. And... The front seal's leaking, the oil pan's leaking, the valve cover's leaking, the rear main's leaking. There's not a spot on it It's not leaking because every seal's gotten hard because it didn't have oil changes often enough. And the coolant was absolutely just corroded. Yep. So you start cleaning it out, now the radiator's leaking, the heater core's leaking. It's what we call nefer, not, not economically not, feasible repair. Yep, it's just not there. Yep. Yeah, there's just nothing to work on. Take that five grand you fix and dump under this car and go buy you something better and don't do that next time. We see it quite a bit, and unfortunately, it happens to people who can least afford it to happen to them. That's right. They try to save money by not doing maintenance stuff and this and other, and they think they're helping themselves, and in the long run, they're really hurting themselves bad. It ends up costing them quite a bit of money. Mm -hmm. Like in this case, you're ended up you're buying a new vehicle. That's right. You know, and that that can get expensive. Oh, absolutely. They are no more cheap vehicles on the road. I mean, not at all. The days of going by a two thousand dollar used car are just about absolutely gone. Now a cheap used car is probably five to ten thousand. That's right. Something with one hundred fifty thousand miles on it. If the air condition works, you can get five grand. For oh it. yeah, yeah. And I mean that's just what they go for. And anything halfway decent is about ten to fifteen grand used. Yeah. And new is thirty to forty. If somebody's got to pay for all them union benefits, that's it, <laughs> and guess who it's going to be? <laughs> yeah, just you have to kind of project out. And I think that everybody somewhere deep down inside knows this. But it's just not something you look at, and it's very tempting. In hard economic times, this is a time when you have to double down on your maintenance because you right. can't afford a breakdown. You can't right. afford to buy a new car. Well, so you should do twice as much maintenance. Right, and you talk about most people do know it. And another thing that really hurts that whole scenario is the owner's manual under a normal service table will tell you 
that you don't have to do any of these right, things. Right, right. But most people don't realize that they don't operate in a normal service table. That's right. If you really read their definition of normal service, that would actually be ideal service. Right. Very few people fall into that. Probably 1% or right. less. And if you read their definition of severe service, that's pretty much normal service right. in South Louisiana particularly. For instance, if you your average trip is less than 10 miles. Well, I would say 80% of the people who drive cars in Baton Rouge, their average trip is less than 10 miles. Right, and it's all stop-and-go traffic. Stop-and-go, continued stop-and-go traffic, operating high ambient temperatures above 100 degrees. Well, guess what? All last week, that thing was way over 100 degrees under That's that right. hood. <laughs> so we're falling under severe conditions. Now, if you read their definition of severe service, then it has a whole different maintenance schedule, which is much, much closer to reality. Right, it still pushes it pretty far. It does, but... And again, you got to remember their idea of the life of a car is about a hundred thousand miles. Right. If you can get a hundred thousand miles and just throw it away, you know, call St. Vincent Paul to come get it. Well, that's fine. And sort of like the little caravan we're talking about, I think it had about ninety thousand on it, ninety one, right. something like that. It made it ninety one thousand with no maintenance virtually at all. That's right. But now it's not worth fixing. That's right. So you got nothing as opposed to someone who maybe had spent a couple thousand dollars along the way maintaining then you would probably have a vehicle that was still worth five or $6,000. You wouldn't have to go spend the 10000 to get another one. So which one's cheaper? Right. Well, it just depends. Like you said, it depends on what you want to do. If you want a new car every five years right. at 100,000 miles, then right. it's not that big a deal. Well, that's right. Yeah. And not only that, but the resale value, almost every car I have ever sold, even though they were usually pretty old and had extremely high mileage, I always got way above retail price for them. Just because it still looked like a brand new car and still ran like a brand new car. That's right. They were in great shape. I had a Toyota Land Cruiser with 196,000 miles. It was 10 years old, and I got 50% of what I paid new for it. Right. When I sold it, the first guy looked at it bought it. Right. (laughs) But again, it was perfectly dependable. It still looked like brand new because it had been maintained. And I didn't spend that much money on it. I mean, I did all the stuff I was supposed to do. But you had a car there that could go a lot further. Right. Most cars we see nowadays that come in the shop, they're at 120, 130,000 oh, yeah. miles, and, and they're done. Yeah. I mean, that's it. We they're, see that pretty frequently, and then you get the next guy who'll come in with 200,000 still looks great. That's right. He's and just taking care of a little bit of difference in, in the way he took care of it. Makes all the difference in the world. And unfortunately, by the time you realize that you're going to have a problem, it's, it's too, too late to fix it. It's too late. You just have to defray to what people are telling you and, and people who know a little bit more about it than you do. And it just makes sense. If you stop and think about it, you know something you take care of is going to last a whole lot longer than something you don't take care of. Right. Hey, we're going to go and get on out of here. We've wasted another whole hour. I want to tell everybody how much we appreciate them listening this morning, every Saturday morning on Automotive Hour. And we want to thank all our podcasters out there for listening each and every week. That's right. Keep your emails coming. I always appreciate hearing from you. Preceding was opinion based on our experience in the automotive industry. Have a great weekend. here and welcome to Echo's Automotive Idol, where singing cars compete for your votes. Here's King Cab. My order took me to Agaco for losing my cool. She trusts those ace technicians cause she ain't no fool. Well, I fixed my radiator and everything. Now I'm rolling down the highway like I'm Oh,
and visit agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-Auto.com to hear entire songs performed by all our contestants, then vote on your favorite. And remember, for vehicles fixed right the first time for the overall lowest cost, Agco is the place to go.